0: Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is CEO of Next Step Talent, Tamima Shames. First of all, Paris headquartered Believe Digital, which is the owner of TuneCore, made an announcement earlier this week that it won't be taking any more AI-generated music. Beyond that, it says it's working to keep AI-generated music off its platforms as well. And what they're talking about is AI music that's 100% generated by some sort of AI. No human involved at all. And there's a lot of pushback about this, which all of the streaming services are hearing and they're doing something about it. The good part is there's a technology that is available to detect 100% AI generated music and it has 99.9% accuracy. That's not yet implemented, but it's coming soon. Now, there are several reasons why this is happening. First of all is AI-generated tracks could flood the market and dilute earnings for artists and labels, and nobody wants that. The second thing is the number of songs that are uploaded are already out of control at about 100,000 a day. So this means more storage space, and let's face it, most of these are never even listened to. So, in order to put a cap on how much they're spending on storage space, the platforms would like to limit this. Keeping AI-generated music at bay is one way to do that. Now, what about a new AI track that was trained by an existing artist? Well, Believe in TuneCore is experimenting with technology that can determine how this could be attributed back to the rights holders. This is sort of like Content ID that's been successfully used by YouTube for quite a while now. So this is a big deal. A lot of artists wouldn't like that happening, but if they'd get paid for it, they'd probably feel a little bit better about it. This is something I actually had happen to me, and it happened this morning, where someone sent me a clip of an AI-generated podcast using my voice. It was saying words that I never said in an order that I never said, but it sure sounded like me. So I felt a little violated when I listened to it, I must admit. Artists and songwriters are rightfully afraid that they'll be squeezed out by AI-generated songs. But the streaming platforms are already taking steps to make sure that doesn't happen. As usual, this is the result of a few bad actors that get in the news. So the problem isn't as widespread as the press would lead you to believe. That doesn't mean it's not something we shouldn't be concerned about. The good thing is that music distributors are being proactive to stop the problem before it gets out of hand, but there's still a lot of work to do in this area. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineers Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. I was skimming through a study recently that was in the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America. And this was a study done at the University of Oldenburg in Germany. It was lead vocal to accompaniment level. And what they were doing is trying to figure out how loud vocals are to the music. As I'm reading through this, I found that I was actually cited in my mixing engineer's handbook, which was kind of satisfying. But that being said, the study answered a number of questions that I know I've always had, Empirically, I knew what was going on, but it's nice to have some data to finally back it up. So the study looked at songs from the Billboard Hot 100 from 1946 to 1922. There's about 700 songs. Then it did a second study where it looked at the year-end list of the Hot 100 just for 2023. And then another one that looked at the differences in vocal levels between genres, country, rap, pop, rock, and metal. They used Isotope RX Rebalance to separate the vocal from the track, and that's how they figured it out. Now two distinct phases were observed. The average lead vocal to music level decreased from about 5 dB to 1 dB until about 1975, and then it's remained static from that point on. When we look at different genres, country has the loudest vocals, at about 3.9 dB above the music, while rap is next with 3.2 dB above the music, pop at 2.7, rock at about even, and metal minus 3.1 dB below the music. Now, something that we always kinda knew, but now we have some real boundaries to look at here, solo artists always have higher vocals than for bands by anywhere from 1.5 dB to 3.5 dB. Now, there's some conclusions here. The first one is that the lower levels in the modern phase of music from 1975 on, the reason why is because they're better tech and better engineering so that vocals could be heard better at a lower level. But the second conclusion was that rock and metal, the guitars are just as important or even more so than a vocal, which is why the vocal is considerably lower than the other genres. The other way to think about it is in a band every member is equal, including the lead vocalist. So that means that the levels are pretty much the same between the vocal and the accompaniment. I've always felt that the lead vocal was lower in rock and metal to make the band sound more powerful. And that's absolutely true, this study confirms it. But as we've found, there are other reasons for why the vocal level in a song is where it is as well. My guest this week is Tamima Shames, who's the CEO of Next Step Talent, a full service talent management and digital brand agency that's home to more than 20 music artists, influencers, and actors. While in college, Tamima worked for Atlantic Records and Visionary Music Group before jumping into her own management company. Since then, her clients have achieved more than 5 billion YouTube views, a number 7 debut Spotify album, highlights in YouTube's Black Creator Class of 2023. TikTok's greatest POV star, and one of NYFW's creators with the highest brand return of 2023. Not only that, songs, records, and projects that Tamima has been part of have garnered 25 million streams and viral campaigns with more than 2 million recreates on TikTok. Her company has also partnered with top brands, including YouTube, Meta, Disney Music Group, Boss, Neutrogena, HBO, and many more. During the interview, we spoke about how she got started managing social influencers, the strategy behind short-form and long-form content, branding as storytelling, artists' mental health, experiential marketing, and much more. I spoke with Tamima via Zoom from her office in Los Angeles. I know that you started really young in the business, so let's go there first.
1: Yeah, so I started out I've been working not in this industry but I've been working since I was about 10 years old. I started out working in a warehouse packaging up stuff for my uncle and then I started teaching Hebrew school and then I was a manager of a smoothie place and I've always been working um you know some people are fortunate to grow up in a family where they don't have to work. Unfortunately for me if I wanted to do the things that other kids were doing like go to the movies or you know, go bowling with their friends or go to the mall, I had to provide myself those resources. You know, my family, I was lucky enough to have a roof over my head, and I'm super grateful for that. But if I wanted to do anything else outside of that, you know, it was up to me to make that happen. And so I started working. And then as far as the, you know, entertainment industry goes, my dad was a touring Israeli musician. And I, for some reason, always gravitated toward acting. And so as soon as I could take the train by myself to the city at age 13, I took the train and would just knock on people's doors and get myself into auditions. And then I got a manager for acting when I was about 15. And, you know, it was a little bit too close to when I was deciding whether or not I would go to college. And it was a pretty unstable, you know, being an actress is something that it's, it's not a stable position. And so I decided I wanted to go to college, went to school for music business. And the whole time I was in college, I was like, I want to be the CEO of a record label. That was my goal. Julie Greenwald was someone who I really looked up to. And I was grateful enough to intern um, underneath her at Atlantic um, while I was in school. And, you know, I feel like the whole time I was just the person that when a door opened, I went down that door that hallway, even if it wasn't something that I thought I was going to enjoy, you know, for Atlantic, I got an internship in, in analytics, in streaming. I had never looked, I was never a numbers person, hated math, never thought I would like it. And you know, what I say today would never have brought me to where I am. And so I'm so grateful for that opportunity and all of the people over there that helped me get there. And then from there, you know, it just kind of happened i was interning at visionary records and that turned into a position where i was heading up influencer marketing over there um underneath sony and then that's when you know covid was happening and all these influencers were blowing up and i started to watch some blow up i was studying it and one day my boss was like why don't you manage one of them and i was like hmm i don't know about that and he convinced me to do it and i owe him you know everything that and he's still super close you know mentor to me and here we are
0: okay so you started by managing an influencer
1: yeah so i was always managing artists throughout college so music artists but it wasn't anything to where i you know would be able to self-sustain and not work a full-time job and so i started managing influencers on the side while i was at visionary Um, uh, because the influencer world was growing so quickly, I had the opportunity to grow with it and make money to be able to support myself in a quicker fashion than music business. But what's awesome is that we took a music business approach, a music management approach to influencers, which is a long-term focus versus short-term monetary gain. And that's what really worked for us.
0: So I take it that that's not the norm then?
1: No, no. A lot of influencer management companies that surfaced right when COVID happened and influencers were growing up were really focused on getting brand deals. They were acting more as agents than they were managers. And so for me, I wanted to take a more hands-on managerial approach to it and build a parasocial relationship, build fan bases and audiences. And that's what our focus is.
0: So then you, you came back then into music. With artists.
1: Yeah, so we have now, we have music artists, actors, and social media, um, all underneath our company, and we recently expanded a little bit into sports. Um, we're deciding whether or not we want to go down that route as well.
0: I read somewhere where you had some releases with 150 million followers. Yeah. So what does that mean exactly?
1: 150 million followers... So we have 150 million followers, more than 150 million on our roster. So that's our full roster across influencers and music. As far as um, view-wise, we have over 5 billion views on our roster just on YouTube alone. And then our music releases, um, our most successful music release was um, the My Crown release, which was utilizing understanding of audience to blow up a song. And right now, you know, we're seeing a lot of success on the music side in the sync world. We, we have some clients that have been writing a lot for sync, doing music composition. And then we recently had an artist named Bailey Spin, who released her debut single. She's also an influencer and it now has over half a million streams and it is crushing it. And there's been no backlash, which is awesome. Everyone's supportive.
0: Was she a, an influencer first? before going into music? Okay, so how does that work? Because as you say, you're lucky there's no backlash, but usually there is, because I think people expect one thing and then they're getting something else as well.
1: So here's what I'll say, is having the music industry background has been really helpful in understanding what an audience wants. And with Bailey, the past year and a half, she switched over her aesthetic to match what her aesthetic of the music was gonna be. And she started doing covers and slowly seeding things in to where she was telling people that the music she listens to is rock music. And then she released rock music. So people weren't confused. What oftentimes happens is there's a confusion of like, where did this come from? Did your management force you to do this? This was something that she had been seeding to her audience for so long that they were so excited about it when it actually happened. And in fact, we've gotten flooded gates with emails of people being like, when's the next song?
0: See, sometimes I've noticed that influencers seem to hit a ceiling and to them, there's no place else to go. So let's go into music. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, so here's what I'll say is there's two sides to that story. One side is that a lot of influencers actually start out by wanting to do music and they blew up during quarantine. So I think what sometimes a lot of people forget is that a lot, and and this isn't all of them, but a lot of people had passions before they were influencers. And a lot of these kids were just hanging out with their friends and blew up on social media for being with their friends and for having an organic, authentic relationship. And because of that, you know, any of their, everyone, you know, the audience forgets that they had all these hopes and dreams before that happened. And so there is definitely a ceiling when it comes to being an influencer. I wouldn't say there's a ceiling to YouTube. I would say that there's a ceiling to short form content and then you need to expand on what you're doing and you need to build a more meaningful connection. So someone who wants to then go into long form YouTube content, there's an infinite ceiling there. But when you're going doing just short form content, whether that's music or acting or comedy, there is definitely something that you need to do to pivot to create that longevity.
0: Well, you know, you you touch on something that's interesting here, because it seems like if you get good at doing short form content, then it must be a leap than to go into long form because it's a completely different mindset.
1: Absolutely. It's really difficult for people to go from short form to long form. It requires a lot more time and dedication in understanding how the algorithm works. How can you retain an audience for that long? But what I, in comparison to music, it's important to look at it like touring is a long form content for, for, for artists. And that's difficult too. An artist who makes music has to train a long ass time before they could just get on stage and tour. And so it's the same thing for an influencer, right? Like they have to train. They have to do the legwork to then learn how to handle long form content. The same way with acting, right? You can do a short, a quick thing and you can be great at it. But can you do a feature film where you have to carry a character for two hours and stay in character and not leave character and do a great job? that's a whole different ball game and it's training. It's a lot of learning. It's understanding improv, understanding audience. And I think that oftentimes influencers, especially during quarantine, when this was all really, really blowing up, is that people didn't necessarily understand that it is hard work. Being an influencer is, you know, some influencers do the bare minimum, but the ones that have the longevity, are extreme workaholics, they're extremely creative, they're extremely smart and business minded. And that's the same way in music, in acting, in any sort, in sports, whatever it is, you have to have that work ethic at the end of the day for you to sustain longer than you know a few years.
0: You mentioned something before about touring. And one of the things that I grew up in, in an era where you had to own your chops in front of an audience right from the beginning. And you started young and it took years until you got good in front of an audience. And now that seems to have been, I don't want to say bypassed, but shortened. So mm-hmm. what will happen is someone that suddenly has some TikTok stardom is almost starting from the bottom when it comes to working in front of an audience. So how do you deal with that?
1: So I think that there's two things here. One thing is that it still takes that same level of training. And there are people who have a viral song, great, great musicians who have a viral song, but that's not enough to sustain an audience. You still need to do the training to understand how to really perform. And I find that with my clients specifically, Um, You know, I have music artists in my roster that are music first. They were born musicians, been on stage the whole nine yards. And then I have influencers who wanted to do music. And I tell all of them the same thing. You have to practice your craft. And so for my influencers wanting to cross over, they were in vocal lessons for years before I even considered releasing music. They were in, you know, they're in performance lessons before they're going on stage six to seven months before and so and you know you talk to a lot of the other influencers that were able to really really cross over and they had to put that same amount of effort and practice maybe it wasn't from the time they were four years old maybe they did bypass a little bit but you can never bypass training entirely you always need to be studying you always need to be improving you always need to be looking at learning the craft is so important
0: I know a big thing for you is branding, because it has to be. But that said, I know when you mention branding to an artist, their eyes glaze over. And it's just something they don't quite grasp. The other thing is, if they're really good, then that's sort of embedded in them. But most artists would rather just be an artist, not have to worry about stuff like that. So how do you approach that?
1: So kind of backtracking. My family has a lot of mental health, um, has struggled with mental health, various members of my family, pretty severely throughout my life. And what it taught me was to look at things from a different perspective and to look at things from somebody else's perspective. And an artist's perspective is that they want to just focus on being an artist, like you said. But when you break it down, what is being an artist? It's storytelling. What is branding? It's storytelling. It's storytelling. So what the way I approach it with them is what is the story you're trying to tell? And then when we then look at their, their actual brand, I'm like, well, that's not the story you're telling. And they're like, but my music's telling that story. And I'm like, but your image isn't. So don't you want to tell your story? And then all of a sudden they always take a step back and are like, wait a second, you're right. Because they understand you have to talk to them in a language they can understand and they don't understand the language of branding and marketing. That all sounds like boring business terms, but when you say to them, you know, you're trying to get across a story of somebody who's sad and going through a breakup, but you're posting yourself partying and this, that, and the other, how does that align? And then all of a sudden, they're like, wait a second, you're right.
0: Okay. That's really smart. I've asked this for a lot of guests. That's the best answer I've heard, I think. Very cool. Very, I mean, you, you figured it out in, in a very concise way. You mentioned something before about mental health, and I know that's a big deal for you with your artist. And mental health for artists, I think, is something that's overlooked because that's part of being an artist in a way.
1: Yeah. You know what? Mental health is definitely overlooked when it is part of it. It's part of any job what i don't think is spoken about enough is teaching managers and artists like what boundaries are okay and where the communication is because oftentimes i think it's the it's in the communication that's the problem because artists go 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 until they crash and then they crash and now all their fans are upset but they've never once talked to their fans about the struggle along the journey and so the fans are like, you're, you're letting us down, but you're not going to be letting your fans down if you've expressed the struggle along the way and your team supported that. And so what we try to do with our talent and my employees and team is that we like to m- make an environment in which they can come to me and tell me on a given day, hey, today is not really a great mental day because I would rather take a break the day that it starts, not the day that it hits rock bottom. So let's take that step back earlier on, because then we're not canceling a million things. We're just canceling one. We're just taking one meeting and we're moving it. And that's never going to be the end of the world. It's also teaching, you know, a lot of artists start so young that they don't ever learn their body enough or have the time to learn what they need. You know, for me, it's every Sunday I need to recharge, not with someone, some artists, if they're on tour and they take one day on tour and nobody talks to them, they'll be 20,000 times a more pleasant person than if they didn't get that day. But if they're not able to communicate that need, then they go, they crash, they become angry. They are not being productive. All of these things start to happen that are signs of burnout when that could have been avoided by one little simple, sometimes only two, three hours in one day that you need to just leave them be.
0: Oh, I know very well. I mean, I suffer from this way back when, when I was an artist and a musician, and I couldn't understand why I was so miserable, even though I was having success at the time. And I was more miserable, miserable than I ever was. So the interesting thing was years later, When I finally decided I'm going to stop this and just work in the studio, it was the happiest day of my life. And I couldn't figure out why. And part of it is, as an artist, as a musician, you identify with your music and it gives you that sense of identity. And if you lose that, then you feel that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. But what happened with me was when I finally decided that, okay, I've had enough of this, it was like, oh, the weight of the world went off my shoulders. I could be a different person now.
1: Yeah. And I also think too, it's it's being able to determine, is it something that doesn't make you happy? Or is it something that you're not doing properly? And that's why it doesn't make you happy. Is there you know, something about what you're doing? Can you change that? And I think many people in the music industry are so, this is the way it's been done. We're not doing it any differently. Your tour is the way it's been since day one. It's not changing. This isn't changing. That isn't changing. And at the end of the day, that's not healthy. And you do need to be able to take a step back and say, what, and and not from just a monetary perspective, but what could we have done different to make our, not only the artists, but the team and the crew happier? Because if you're surrounding an artist with a bunch of unhappy people, that's going to rub off on them just as bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. I read someplace where you do some experiential marketing. I do. What is that exactly?
1: So experiential marketing is really a lot of different things. It could be in-person activations, but a lot of what we do is taking an audience and breaking it down and understanding it and then figuring out how we can market to that audience in a way that they're going to understand. So we ran a campaign called The Boys Are Back. This was a campaign in which we knew that the boy band fan base gets really excited about all the bands. And there's a lot of bands that have broken up. And so a boy band that we were managing at the time was coming back and we were doing a relaunch. So we're like, why don't we engage all these other audiences by creating a clue system of which boy band is coming back? And all of these other audiences started to draw in millions and millions of views in of people wanting to know who was coming back. And we didn't allude to one specific band. It was all the, all these different bands, all these different clues And then, you know, when we eventually announced, we also did clues to the band that we were were managing. And when it eventually announced, um, there was millions of views right to the site, to the pre-save link. And that was a way that we were able to use not a lot of money, but understanding who the people are and the brand. You gotta lean into the brand that you created and what those fans are thinking. Um and so we do a lot of that. We did it with my crown, we did that, you know, we do with all of our artists for their releases. We just did a little bit an experiential marketing tactic for Bailey's release um her song's called Romance is Dead. So we created a quiz. We like to do these little mystery moments. Um it gets people engaged and they love it. And so we did a quiz. It was called um Romance is It was a romance quiz. So you know, have you ever seen like little girls like do stuff like Would you rather someone take you on a date to the beach or whatever? And so we populated that, ran ads on it. And the quiz itself on the last page, when it was like, find your perfect match, it went to her music video for Romance is Dead. That's good. Yeah. So it's just leaning into what the creative ideas are in my team. I couldn't survive without them. They have the best brains possible. So
0: yeah, that helps, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a, we have a team of eight employees now and they're all phenomenal. I have nothing bad to say.
0: I know everything that you do revolves around social. And I'm just curious, what are you finding in terms of the most productive platform at the moment?
1: The most productive platform? Productive in what way?
0: Productive meaning you're getting the most bang for the buck by your presence on the platform or your artist presence on the platform?
1: Each platform, you're not gonna like this answer, but each platform is used for a different thing. I can't give you a solid answer on that because each platform truly has its own meaning. Twitter and Instagram are where fans cultivate. It's where fans join, it's where they create group chats, it's where they talk, they chat, they figure things out. Instagram is where people market their brand. YouTube is where people tell their story, their long form story and their short form story with shorts, where they show what products they have. Snapchat is where people talk to their fans. Snapchat is where they communicate on a daily basis, answer their fans' questions. So, you know, TikTok, TikTok is where you are able to pull in a new and different audience than you maybe would have before. And where you get people to hop on trends, to find new information, to become a trendsetter, that's where you do it is on TikTok. And so Facebook now, even with Facebook Reels, it's like Facebook, you know, is where, again, it's, it's similar to an Instagram, it's because it's meta. So it's a lot about your brand over there. Like what, you know, people look at Instagram like your portfolio. Like when they look at you, it's like, this is your portfolio and then Spotify's your portfolio or mm-hmm. Apple. And so there isn't one platform, you know, as far as streams go, you know, TikTok, YouTube's catching up, but like TikTok trends convert streams insanely. And so does YouTube shorts right now. But in terms of like, Every platform has their has its own purpose for sure.
0: I'm not surprised at that answer, although the one thing that does surprise me is that Twitter is involved.
1: Twitter is really big. Fans still cultivate on Twitter.
0: Despite Elon.
1: Despite Elon. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's funny because I know a number of people that have had uh, really big followings that have dropped off as a result of uh, protests against Elon. And they've suffered for it. Now, I understand taking the the politically correct stance, but on the other hand, if it's going to negatively influence your position, that's probably not a good idea.
1: Here's what I'll say um, about Twitter specifically. It just kind of goes back to every platform has its own purpose, and you shouldn't focus on one ever. The same way you don't put your, all your eggs into one basket. You don't just release one song. You release a lot of songs. You need to release a lot of content, that's all. You can't just tell your story one way.
0: No, that that's actually contrary to what the popular theory on this is, where it used to be you concentrate on one platform and you get really good at it before you actually go into another one, and that's completely different.
1: Yeah, well, what I would say is, is that each platform's algorithm is different. You can use the same content, on all on like many different platforms so why would you just post on one and get really good at it when you can edit differently but it'll take you less than five more minutes to then post it everywhere else i do agree on like you know having one that you're focused on for a moment but they each are different things it's like it's it's just totally different things that they do and they you know provide a purpose in your career
0: Where do you come down on scheduling posts? Because it's really hard. If you're going to go by the best times to post and everything, that's usually the worst time for somebody in the day. You know, it's better, it's easier to just schedule stuff using a, a scheduler.
1: All the platforms are starting to build in their own scheduling. I wouldn't use a scheduler. I would use the platform itself because it has less issues with it. There's no problem with scheduling on a platform. What I would say is don't do it too many days ahead because the trends change so much. But if it's like a promotional piece, scheduling is great.
0: Speaking of this and speaking of trends and probably the latest hype, where do you come down on AI assistance?
1: This is so funny because right before I hopped on here, I was writing an interview on this exact topic. So AI assistance. Are you talking about AI influencers or AI just assistants in general or AI music? It's a broad topic right now.
0: It is. I'm more concerned with how AI affects you and your clients.
1: So we actually in the past like two weeks have just recently started implementing some forms of AI into our business model. What I would say has helped me in the past few days when I'm learning about it is I'm all for using like chat ChatGPT to come up with, you know, earlier I was like, I need to find all of the candy brands that work in influencer marketing. So I typed in candy brands or, you know, I want to get in contact with 50 CEOs that were on like the X list, like 30 under 30. You can type that in and the whole list will populate real quick. So it's a very quick way of getting the information. And so- We've been using it a lot for that. We've also been using it like, you know, if we have a bio, like, Hey, can you tweak this bio and make it better? As far as using AI, I'm really excited to see this new Adobe AI editing feature for video editing. Cause it'll, you just tell it how you want it to edit your video and it just does it, that is going to be really helpful for our team. We've kind of shied away from doing anything in the music realm just because of all these lawsuits going on right now. Anything with music, we are thinking about testing, you know, creating flyers using chat, using not chat, but using like Canva AI or some sort of similar model. The thing that I would say is we always want to alter it a little bit so that it becomes our own and we don't have any legal issues with art not being owned or whatever that case may be. I'm really interested to see how these lawsuits play out and how that changes what technologies are allowed to be created when it comes to AI, because there are obviously a ton of concerns when it comes to, you know, ownership of materials and utilizing
0: that. Yeah, a few weeks ago, the uh, U.S. Copyright Office actually issued some guidance on that And they basically said that a human has to be involved in order to get the copyright.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: That really helps. I went on vacation recently, and while I was on vacation, I took a crash course in deep learning from MIT and then another one from IBM. Well, I found it really interesting, first of all. And second of all, I'm writing a book about AI for music production, so I wanted to make sure I had my arms around it.
1: So, What are your thoughts on it? I'm, I'm flipping this interview, sorry. Yeah,
0: well, what I found was that a lot of what you hear is uh, war, fear-mongering, that it's going to take over the world, and this is going to happen, whatever, but in fact, AI isn't as smart as everyone thinks. It does require humans on all levels, and it's only as good as it's training, and training is the hard part. So right. when it comes down to it, you cannot look at ai whatever that output is as the end-all be-all you know you have to really be in touch with it personally in order for it to help it's just another tool
1: i i completely agree and and you know you say this with every disruptive technology or new company and people freak out that it's you know the world is going to end and like you know if you remember like when uber first started people freaked out like you know, they're going to abduct you and like all these crazy things, like how is this going to work? This is never going to work. It's never going to happen. And now people can't even like think of a world without Uber in it or, you know, Uber or any of those services. And so I think AI is just another tool that's going to eventually develop out to have more of a specific use case. Um, Right now, people are testing out a lot of different things. You know, same thing with video editing, you know, using AI. Like, it's never going to replace the human because you're always going to have to change something and do something different. It's just a matter of maybe not needing the human to do everything.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it, (laughs) definitely. What is the best piece of advice that maybe somebody imparted to you or you learned along the way?
1: You know, I think the best piece of advice, and this is just something I said a little bit earlier, is number one, don't let fear run you. People ask me all the time, aren't you afraid your company is going to fail? And I say, so what? If it were to, what happens? You wake up the next day and you start something else. You know, life is too short to worry about little things and what if, what if, what if you got to just do the things that make you happy on a given day and, you know, be smart about things, but also not be afraid of what might happen because you're never going to get that moment back ever.
0: You can find out more about Tamima and Next Step Talent at nextsteptalent.co. That's nextsteptalent, all one word, dot co. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com Or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.